Loving God, in this time of isolation, help us to remember your promise that you are with us always. Open our hearts and our minds for what you have for us this day from this old ancient story that we have with us. Amen. Interventions are messy. They are scary. They impact us on a visceral level. They break societal norms. They tend to evoke unfinished business within our own lives. I can still remember the phone call I received from the sister of a woman in a past congregation that I served. She wanted me to be part of an intervention for her sister who was an alcoholic. I was stunned. Why hadn't I picked up on it? Why was I blind to her reality? I experienced her as extremely bright, capable with a highly demanding job and a beautiful home to return to every night. But I had not been privy to the painful secret side of her life that she kept hidden from her faith community. I agreed to meet with the agency that was part of her health care program being arranged for this church member. We were given our assignments. We were to each meet unannounced at 9 a.m. on the following Saturday morning, each carrying a letter. The letter was to focus on describing our experience with her and why we were participating in this intervention. We represented family, friends, work colleagues, and her church community. We broke the rules of appropriate cultural norms. We arrived unannounced. The door was opened by a very stunned and confused woman. The living room filled up rapidly. The air was charged. We were there to point the way to a process of healing, but we needed her buy-in. We needed her to say yes to stepping out the front door and entering into an alcohol treatment facility for six weeks. We were the people who had, with fear and trepidation, committed ourselves to being hope carriers. We, like those four biblical stretcher bearers of today's text, needed her consent to walk out the door to the waiting car. In that tightly packed living room was the eclectic community of her life. All of us trusted a process that felt terrifyingly hopeful. We were doing it out of and in the name of love. Three of us were asked to read our letters. The first was from her boss. The second was an agonizingly truth-telling loving letter from her housemate. And I was called upon to read the third letter. Reading my letter in that setting demanded me to take an enormous leap of faith. I questioned whether my participation would end our relationship. I wondered if I would ever see her again. I wondered if she would return to our church. 
and my fear was that she would feel so betrayed that she would not even hear us, let alone walk out the door to the waiting car. I have wondered if these four friends in today's gospel reading were an intervention team. Did the man welcome his friends or did he fight them? Was he cursing them all the way to that small jammed house on the lower west side of Capernaum or was he grateful? Was his stomach churning as he dealt with the proposition of entering a public quest for healing? The paralyzed parts of ourselves are a drag, but they are known, familiar, and certainly private. To risk speaking about them to others can be a sweaty, throat-clearing, dry mouth proposition. Paralysis comes in a variety of forms. Sometimes it is physical, but it is often manifest as an emotional blockage due to unfinished business. Sometimes we are the carriers of scars from the sins of parents or other family members. Our choices are often the catalyst for disordered behavior that leads to the need for forgiveness and healing. Our postmodern world society is not much different from those folks crammed into the neighborhood house in Capernaum. Their institutions had let people down just as our institutions have often done. Sure, there were ardent advocates of Jesus who wedge themselves into the house, but one can be sure that the crowd was well aware of the scribes on the back row who took on the role of being witnesses. They were the embodied protectors of their institution. Jesus was not only interacting with individuals in the crowd, he was also taking on the most powerful institution of his day, the temple. From the scribe's point of view, the temple was the only place where sins could be given, forgiven and purity restored. The falling plaster, dirt, bugs and roofing material that rained down on those gathered was an intentional breach of decorum that came out of the efforts of a committed team of friends making a desperate intervention. But Jesus' whole ministry was by its nature a radical breach of the norms of his day. His very words were designed to dismantle the authority of the temple system. New Testament scholar Bill Herzog wrote about the complexity of the system of Jesus' day. He said it that was the people's belief that sin and sickness were welded together. And if one had an illness, it was deemed caused by sin. This belief made it possible for a system to develop around wealthy aristocrats who provided economic benefits to the poor in return for the services they could render. The poor needed the money to not only provide bread for the table, 
but also to pay for the priests to forgive their sins. The whole social hierarchy was built on interlocking patron-client relationships. It set up a trap titled victimization for the poor. Taxation left the poor malnourished. Society said the poor were sick because of sin, and the cure for sin was payment in the temple. In that stuffy, modest home in Capernaum, with folks crammed into every corner, while those outside strained to see through the windows, Jesus brought a whole new theology. He is not a member of the priestly caste. He emphasizes his place within the crowd. And in so doing, he models taking on the broker role, not only for himself, but for his followers. By daring to be the agent of healing, he redefined God for those gathered. God was not the tyrant that demanded tithes and who punished those unable to pay them. Jesus' God moved from compassion and grace. Jesus does not say, I forgive your sins. He announces that God has forgiven the paralyzed man. And I can imagine a collective intake of breath as the crowd takes in the transformation of the formerly paralyzed man as he shifts his weight to the edge of the stretcher as the words of life are offered to him. Stand up, take up your mat and go to your home. This past week, I have reflected on this text in various situations. More than 160 young women experienced the abuse of Dr. Larry Nassar, former team physician for the USA Gymnastics. Paralysis can be inflicted not only from abuse, but from telling the story of the abuse and not being believed. It took the courage to gold medalist athletes, along with countless young women who dared to speak their truth by telling their stories of not only the abuse by Nasser, but the abuse of coaches and the colluding powerful institutions that failed to believe women's stories and failed to keep women athletes safe. Jesus taught us that when we dare to take steps as hope carriers, that we become empowered by God to help enable healing that comes through the power of the spirit. It was nine years ago last month, as I finished my Advent sermon on Mary, that I had to toss it aside and start over. Following the horrendous Sandy Hook school massacre shooting of 26 children and six adults. I fully believed that our nation would finally come together and pass control measures that would prevent such carnage. 
but it did not happen. In 2018, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School student David Hogue offered these compelling words in his flea, plea to leadership to have gun violence dealt with when he said, we're children, you are the adults. He has moved on as a young adult and is still working as an advocate for gun safety. Seeking to prevent schools from becoming targets of chaos, violence, and death has been a way, way long, too long journey. As painful as it is, hope caring often demands years of commitment. In today's bulletin, Lift Every Voice Oregon is offering us the opportunity to collect signatures in order to place gun safety on the next Oregon general election ballot. As a faith community, working together to change systems requires faithful endurance. We will be reminded again and again about faithful endurance as we begin to discuss the outcome of the anti-racism audit that has arrived from our consultants and is now being processed by our leadership table team. To become hope carriers in this arena demands that we do the inner work necessary to educate ourselves and our faith community. Choosing to take on work that is so systemically entrenched can only be empowered through prayerful discernment. As Jesus modeled for us, pushing boundaries comes with risks. We have to continually discern where we are being led by God's spirit to make choices and take new steps. Six weeks after that long ago Saturday morning intervention, I met with a woman who had with great reluctance accepted the offer and took the ride to the treatment center. Healing rarely comes with a happily ever after outcome, even if one is convinced that it was the right thing to do. I learned that relationships can move into new directions. Sometimes trust has to be reframed and reestablished. Healing demands time. And much of the time, forgiveness is an essential part of the healing process. Healing demands that all parties trust God as the trapeze bar is released and the next bar has not yet appeared. And as always, we are all invited into the story. Jesus came to teach us that the kingdom of God or the kinship of God is about breaking through the barriers that keep us paralyzed and imprisoned. We have been left with stories that offer us profound truths. We each have our own God stories that keep the hope that is within us. 
And when we are tempted to lose that hope, it is often those within the community of faith that we lean on to help carry us. So what is God's invitation to us? Is it to release some paralyzed part of ourselves? Are we being invited to forgive? Could it be that we have work to do around forgiving ourselves? And who is it that needs our forgiveness? Is the invitation to take a stand and use our voices to speak truth to power? Who is in our life who stands ready to support us? God desires for us to live fully into our birthright and to be all that God has created us to be. May it be so. Amen.